Hey folks, Brian here. A uh, special treat before the show begins, I got to talk with Scott Snyder exclusively at the Hall of Justice for the new Justice League series that he is launching in June, alongside Jorge Menez and Jim Chung. And uh, this appeared in print in Multiversity Comics last week, but we have it for you audio here. So we'll start with this, and then we'll get to our show. Enjoy. Hey Scott, how are you? I'm good, brother. It's good to talk to you again, man. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so I know that we're going to talk Hall of Justice today. And I've interviewed you enough times to know that I shouldn't say too much because you're going to just tell me everything anyway. So let's start with a really basic question. <laughs> Why bring back the Hall of Justice? What makes this special? Go for it, dude. Well, thanks, brother. The For me, I mean, what I want to do with Justice League is make it, A, the best book on the stands. But B, like the, the way I think I do that is by making it connective, making it ambitious, all of those things. For me, I think the thing that, that we haven't done enough of with Justice League over the last, um, you know, decade has sort of, has, has made it connect, uh, has been make it connective. Um, I, I, I love the storytelling that's gone on in the book, uh, from other writers, other artists, but what I missed about it was the sense of it being a hub for the whole DCU, that every great story happening in other books was reflected in Justice League. And once in a while, Justice League would drive story forward on those books when those, you know, creators on those books felt the story warranted it. So, you know, for me, the Hall of Justice, in a lot of ways, it, it, it takes me back to my love of Super Friends as a kid. And it has like this tremendous sort of, you know, pull on my heartstrings just as a as a as a kind of visual. But more importantly, I realize that, you know, in a symbolic way, it, it perfectly stood for what I want Justice League to be grounded on Earth. It, there, the hall has public areas where people can go in and sort of, you know, be inspired, find their own hero. And at the same time. It has these secret portals in it, the Hall of Justice itself, that connect you to Justice League Dark, Justice League Odyssey. One other team we haven't announced yet as well, but uh, we've hinted at already. Um, and that you'll see characters like Green Arrow come and go from the Hall of Justice. You'll see Adam, uh, uh, Ryan Choi, working in the Med Lab in Justice League. You see Vixen in issue one. You see Animal Man in issue one. I want you to feel like Justice League is a book that affects, connects, and celebrates the entire DCU. And so for me, the Hall of Justice was just a perfect emblem of that. Um, and that's why I felt like it wasn't just kind of a kid joy to get to bring it into continuity in a big way again, but it felt perfect for the sort of mission statement of Justice League. You know, Justice League to me is also, if we're talking like connections and being connective, for me, it's the culmination of a number of years of storytelling at DC. I pitched for Justice League or asked if there was a chance of taking it when I pitched Metal. So for me, uh, just, you know, Metal sort of raised all these new questions about the DCU itself as a physical structure, the Dark Multiverse, Barbatos, the World Forger, the break in the source wall, all that stuff then sets up No Justice. No Justice, you know, shows the characters how the universe is bigger, more wondrous, more terrifying than anything they understood before. So they need to fight new formations. They need to reform. They need new leaders. They need new um, mission statements. And so there you get these three books, Justice League, Justice League Dark, Justice League Odyssey. Um, and from there, the story in Justice League itself really takes all of the stuff that you've seen so far, um, Barbatos, the Dark Multiverse, the World Forger, the Omega Titans uh, uh, from uh, No Justice, Brainiac, all of this stuff cycles right back through Justice League. You will see Batman revisit the Dark Multiverse. You will see, you know... Uh, characters from No Justice that you meet in later issues, I can't give away yet, come back and 
and affect the story. So the same way the Hall of Justice, I want to feel like this kind of central beating heart, this hub of the DCU where anyone can visit, um, but it has special secret, you know, passageways and everything hidden in it for for uh, corridors that you don't know are coming or are there. Um, I want you to feel like when you open Justice League and you see that Hall of Justice, it also says you knew it was coming when you got to the end of Metal because you saw the blueprint. You understand why they think it's the right method uh, methodology for the Justice League as a team when you read No Justice. And when you start reading Justice League, you realize there are things in that Hall of Justice. There are rooms you don't know about. There are trophies in that case that will play a huge part going forward that continue the story that you started reading in Batman through Metal, through No Justice, and now in Justice League and Justice League Dark and Justice League Odyssey. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds really uh, sprawling, Thanks, brother. sprawling and, you know, all the best Scott Snyder stuff all in one place. So let's talk about these, these portals for a second. So we know that yep. the Hall of Justice is the hub. Where is Justice League Dark located? Is it in the same physical space or does the portal literally bring people to a different space in the world? It, it actually brings you to a different space in the world, but they do actually have a, a base within the, the Hall of Justice as well. But because of things I can't give away that are in issue four of No Justice, the base, the, the decision making about where they should be changes. So there is a portal within um, the Hall of Justice that leads specifically to Justice League Dark, and there's one that leads specifically to Cyborg uh, and uh, Justice League Odyssey, where they fly around in a flaming uh, brainiac head, like a giant brainiac head with flames painted along the side. Um, but uh, the uh, the I don't want to give too much away about the physical basis of those um, teams because you'll see at the end of No Justice how they decide to sort of uh, set themselves up. Very cool. Now, with the Hall of Justice, there's this uh, there's this sense of like you said, people coming and going, um, heroes working in different you know corridors, that sort of thing. Will your Justice League run be bringing in lots of different characters, or is there going to be more of a set team that operates out of the Hall of Justice? There, I want you to feel there's a core team. So the core team is the team on the cover. You know, Kendra. Uh, Hawk Girl, Aquaman, uh, Martian Manhunter, John Stewart, Green Lantern, Flash, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, um, with Martian Manhunter as the chairman. Um, but that said, I want you to understand that every single arc, they're going to go to characters in the DCU for help, for answers, um, sometimes to help those characters. So, you know, everybody from Mira to, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Fate, to Swamp Thing, to... You'll see a lot of those characters actually in the first issue. <laughs> but, um, you know, I want you to feel like this is a book where you might wind up um, back on Thanagar talking to Shiera. You might wind up on, you know, uh, in Skartaris uh, talking to Onamar Sin again. You know, all of that stuff. So for me, it's connected to the whole DCU, but I don't want you to feel like anybody can join the team. Part of my goal is to show you why these characters are the right characters for this story and for the book right now, even if the roster changes. I mean, who knows? Characters could die. Characters could decide to quit. So, you know, I mean, I know what's happened. I, I know exactly <laughs> where those things happen. But for the sake of suspense, I will say to the readers out there, you never know who will die or who will quit or who will, uh, you know, turn into something else. So you'll you'll have to wait and see. But these characters are very dear to me. I, I spent a lot of time with um, 
with the other guys and, and girls on the, on the teams talking about why this should be the Justice League, getting their opinions on it, all of it. So for me, the other thing I'd say is, you know, the Hall of Justice is very much the mission statement of the Justice League itself. So it's my mission statement about the book, but it's their mission statement from Martian Manager. He is a character who physically, like literally and figuratively connects our characters with telepathy. He brings them together and makes them, uh, you know, see each other and hear each other and feel each other out there when they're on a mission. Uh, and so in that way, the Hall of Justice, if that's about connectivity, then it has its opposition in the Legion of Doom. And sort of that base is, is an echo of this base. And we even drew these different symbols, not giving too much away. But you'll see in the first issue, I, I made up these different symbols that are actually based on the architecture of the Hall of Justice and the Legion of Doom. And they look quite similar. It's almost one thing when you invert it the semicircle with these lines going through in this small triangle at the bottom. When you flip it, it looks like the Legion of Doom. When you turn it one way, it looks like the Hall of Justice. And the Hall of Justice, to me, really represents, you know, their, their idea of what the Justice League should be and that they feel that our nature as, as humans, right, our nature as, as you know, Earthers, um, it might be something that sometimes can be very ugly, but what is justice if not a system of right and wrong that we impose on the natural world? We say we're going to punish wrong and we're going to reward right. Well, that's unnatural. That's what's re reaching higher than, you know, the, 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 the natural world asks us to. If that's the case, the hall itself reflects that. It has these beams that go above the semicircle that circumscribes who we are. The, on the other hand, the Legion of Doom, Doom in its original form meant fate. It didn't have menacing connotations, the root of that word. So Luthor and the people on the Legion of Doom so spoiler, but Luthor is leading them, um, essentially decide that um, we should embrace our nature for reasons they see in the source wall for this whole adventure. You know, no justice has him have an epiphany where he realizes we should embrace what we are. We should embrace what's in our DNA. We're meant to be these predatory things. And what's on the other side of that wall, you know, the wall, everyone thinks the wall kept us safe from it. Well, actually, it kept it safe from us. So he's like, let me let me loose with my guys, and I'm going to show the you know people of Earth why they should choose doom and not justice. So it really is a question in the book: Are you going to enter the Hall of Justice? Do you turn that knob and go into the Hall of Justice, or would you rather visit the Legion of Doom? <laughs> that, that, that's quite a teaser for the series, Scott. Uh, one last super quick question: What's your favorite little Easter egg we should be looking for in Justice League Number One? In the Hall of Justice. There are a lot of Easter eggs. There are a lot of Easter eggs. The spread of the Hall of Justice is, like, probably my favorite page, honestly, when Jim Chung turns it in. It's so perfect, and it walks you through the hall. So there's one part where you see the trophy room, and I would say that some of the trophies are mentioned in other books. So that's one of my favorite Easter eggs. But there's Easter eggs throughout. It really is, like, there are Easter eggs when you get to the Legion of Doom as well that are set up from metal, and, and when you saw Vandal Savage sort of beginning to construct that uh, structure there. And so I would have to say, it's my favorite, my favorite Easter egg. I would say the things in the trophy room are probably my favorite because they have, they have meaning to me, and you, you hear them mentioned elsewhere, and they harken back to some of my favorite stories and some of the ideas I got to discuss with Grant Morrison. So some of them are things that point to stories in the past in the trophy room, and some of them are actually things that we have planned. They have purpose going forward. So it's pretty fun. I love the my, the narration about the trophy room is my favorite part. It because we narrate. I have this. I'm trying a different style where I want it to feel grand and majestic, you know. So I'm narrating omniscient, which I've never really done in a comic before. 
so it's a third person omniscient narrator, uh, like old school, you know, Len Wein, Jim Starlin. I want that grand feel. Um, and so they're talking about the trophy room and they're like, you know, everyone's favorite place in the hall of justice is the trophy room. And then it lists some of the trophies and you're looking at them and it's like, though depowered was concerned about how safe they were. And it was like a committee called Batman in and asked him how sure, how could he be so sure that uh, it was safe, uh, that these things were safe. And it says like one Senator quipped and don't say because I'm Batman. And then it's like, in response, Batman said, if you're worried about it, why don't you give it your best shot? And then it's like, at which point, if you slow down the footage, it's possible to see Batman's face make what some people theorize is his version of a smile. <laughs> it's like my favorite, just my favorite. It's what it's my favorite panel in the whole thing, because I know everyone also thinks that I'm going to make it like, you know, there's that meme that's like Justice League. It's Batman and his bitches and that stuff. And everyone keeps thinking that I'm going to make Batman you know, the lead and everybody else follows him. But to be honest, Batman really takes a bit of a backseat in this one. And he's, he's my comic relief a lot of the time, as you'll see. So from page four, I won't give anything away, but page four, you'll get a sense of how the other characters kind of bust his balls and, and how in a lot of ways I'm, I want him to understand that on the justice league, he might sometimes be a little bit too big for his britches and that there are other characters that we really want to, you know, celebrate too. Not to say that he doesn't get some incredibly badass parts, Wait till you see. There's, there's an issue I, I won't give away, but where he he he's alone in the Hall of Justice and something happens where he has to take everybody on. It's going to be awesome. Um, but that said, uh, it's a chance to foreground other characters too. So just like the trophy room, you know, in the Hall of Justice, we want this to be a place where you can wander through and and find a story. Essentially, when you open these pages, that points to all the great stuff in the past of the DCU, but takes you somewhere brand new and includes all these characters that you've loved and introdu introduces you to new one. It's a giant soap opera, uh, Brian. This really is the book that I've been waiting to write since I was five years old. Batman will always be my favorite character. I mean, there's no secret about that. But this was the book that I've dreamed of writing. And if I retire on this superhero story, I want it to feel okay. I want this to be the one that's like, this is my giant DC opus. And I have a two-year-plus plan for it and it was built over the last few years with metal and no justice and Batman and all of that stuff. So everything that you've been sort of seeing build happens here. So I, I really, really am is exci excited. I wouldn't bring in these characters. I wouldn't bring in the Legion of Doom and the Hall of Justice if I didn't feel like the story not only warranted it, but demanded it because of how big it wants to go. Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on May 9th, 2018. And we're going to start with um, the first issue of the new four-issue miniseries, Justice League No Justice. Written by Scott Snyder, Joshua Williamson, and James Tynan IV. And illustrated by Francis Manipal. Um... Zach, I feel like you were the most down on the No Justice bit in DC Nation last week. So why don't we start with you? What did you think of this issue? Um, it was fine. It handled... So, like, my biggest gripe 
I think was the whole like four energy sources thing, which I still think is kind of silly, but it was, uh, I didn't mind the way it was presented here. It's a, it's a little derivative. You basically got these like four galacti. <laughs> um, and I, it was, I mean, I was a little dissettled with like how much of it is just set up considering this is a four issue miniseries. I'll argue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say like, this isn't the best manipul art I've ever seen. Um, well, my question is, what are the odds he actually finishes all four issues? Well, he's not the only artist, I don't think. I think Toe, Marcus Toe, is yep. assisting in I later issues. I thought he was solicited as the only artist. No, I think, no, I think they t- Toe oh, okay. was on. Um, but not not. there's something about the coloring isn't as detailed as it usually is, I feel like. Uh, it, it I just felt a little bit flatter than um, I feel like, you know, Maniples are usually really pops and it's very expressive. And I thought this was a little flat. Um, well, the col- the had... coloring was high fi right? Yeah. That'll is do that it. normal? Is that normally the case for Maniple? I don't, I don't think so. I believe Brian Bucoletto or Bucoletto yes. rather was his regular colorist for okay. a while. Can I just uh, but... say this has been a long running thing for me. I don't like high fi's colors ever. I know you've mentioned that. There yeah. are times when I like Hi-Fi's colors, and it's a there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, Look, I'll say this. I feel like there are moments in the issue where the colors are great. Like, if you're looking at the... Uh, it's like five or six pages in, and Superman punches Brainiac. Like, that's a super bright, really well-colored page. But everything else kind of feels a little washed out. Mm-hmm. And I know that part, that, that is Manipul's style to a certain degree. But I felt like there wasn't enough contrast in the color. It's usually a lot more painterly, almost, and this feels very normal. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's true. There are a few pages that I feel like look what I think of as more like typical Manipul, like when the villains all appear. Uh huh. That's a really good page. Um, there are a few really good pages. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What did you guys think? So, Let's go ahead. Okay. So, I'm going to echo what Zach said about this being strangely a lot of setup. And I get it because, like, because of the way that the DC Nation segment was structured... It showed you all of the teams, but it really didn't tell you much of anything about how or why they were put together. I mean, there were there were vague things about the the Omega the Titans, energies, yeah, 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 but it didn't really give you any sense of why or how, not in any great detail. And I know that they still had to establish that. I just wish that maybe for the DC Nation thing, they would have done a little bit more of that, so we could have a little bit less of it in this one. Um, but I, I liked it. I did. That's, I'm, that's my criticism that I'm just going to get out of the way right away. Like it's a four issue mini. And by the end, we're basically where I expected to essentially start, you know? Yes. Yes. And that's just, completely. that's just comics these days, I guess. Cause I feel like I say that about almost any time. The, I mean, part of it is that 
part of it is that there's so much lead up to things like these that we kind of know what to expect from the start. And then that's exactly my point. Is yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. before that we were living in a culture where everybody read solicits, you could you could hear about this, maybe read about it in Wizard or whatever, do that your comics news, but like you wouldn't know about the teams. You might right. see the covers or whatever, but you know, this issue would be necessary ten or fifteen years ago. I don't yeah. think it's necessary now. No, and it would have been like very surprising. Um, you know, I, I mean, just imagine how big that villain page reveal would have been if you didn't know that that was coming with like Starro and yeah. Sinestro and everybody. Just the Starro reveal alone, like that would have been. I think back to how I hear people describe like the Sinestro core special. Mm. Um, where like the the like guardians of the Sinestro Corps get revealed, and it's like the Anti Monitor and all of that stuff, which was a surprise at that time. Um, or even like um, that page at the end of Bright, uh, Blackest Day number eight, where all the heroes rise, mm-hmm. like, and you see all the characters come back again. Yeah, like how big of a surprise that we didn't know who was coming back. Right, you know, we had, exactly. We had guesses, but that was a huge surprise. I feel like if this had been solicited without this cover, which obviously shows like Starro and Sinestro and whatever, and just you open up to that, you said that villains page, that would be a gigantic reveal. Gigantic yeah, gigantic reveal, huge. Um, and that would have made like a lot of the setup worthwhile. But yes. in this case. This is just catching us up to what we all know from solicits and interviews. Count like so many interviews, yeah. um, and I mean that's our fault, I guess. You know, comics news media, we we've <laughs> changed the way comics work, really. Yeah. What well, if what if we like, get to a state where like you're required to read like Newsarama's uh, <laughs> like four part interview before the series gets started, or you won't know what's going on. <laughs> well, that's like. What I was thinking the whole time I'm reading this is like, you know, and I enjoyed the DC Nation thing, but imagine if this was the DC Free Comic Book Day. Book. Yeah. And yeah. and it was just called Justice League No Justice. You know anything about it. And you pick this up at the store, and then No Justice, this is No Justice, no Justice Zero, let's say, and No Justice One comes out the Wednesday after. Can you imagine how many people would pick that up and then... At, because they're at the shop on Free Comic Book Day, I feel like that would be a huge boost in sales for them because this would be a super fun surprise issue. Sure. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. And then, um, you know, pick the story up with everything kind of just going and then, you know, you point the readers to like, well, here's this free issue that gets it started. And maybe that's like entitled, but when when so much of the story is already basically divulged for free anyway on the internet through interviews and solicits and artwork and it it really devalues the issue i think agreed yeah i agree but let's talk about what i did like which is that this to me this really felt like an eventy high quality product like you got quality art throughout zach i i can kind of see what you're saying about it not necessarily being top manipole um i agree with your comments on the coloring but still like 80 percent manipole is still like oh it's still very better good. than, better yeah. than 95 percent of artists that i want to look at yeah and it just feels big eventy and most of all to me 
it feels like something that DC has been afraid to do, I would say, since the start of the New 52, and that's to really shake up teams uh, to really cross lines. I think when the New 52 came out, there was a lot of, you know, yeah, we're going to have crossovers, but for the most part, these characters are in their corner. The Justice League is going to be pretty much the same lineup the entire way through. Um, and this is like Snyder and company saying, we're going to shake all of that up and see what bounces off of what and how, you know? And, and it's just something that they've been afraid to do for a while or just didn't put a priority on. And it feels really special now. I, I'm, I'm really feeling now like this universe is finally becoming and. <laughs> I've said this before, but it's been like half measures along the way with rebirth and things like that. But it's it's feeling like this really cohesive thing where Zatanna knows who Beast Boy is now, you know, whereas those two characters would never interact uh, or like once in a blue moon, you know. And if if the goal is to make this feel really tight and cohesive, that's what I love about it. And I love that feel. And it's imbued through this whole thing. It's funny at times. Um, Starro says "bwahaha." Yep, <laughs> so we, love that. we got a "bwahaha" Justice League back in some form or fashion. Um, it's yeah, it's it's kind of like dumb and simple. Like it's kind of just a dumb action thing with the four Omega type, like a very clear MacGuffin. Like oh, it's these four things that represent four different uh, characteristics and. Yeah, it's that's kind of like very Power Rangers or something, you know, but like sometimes I feel like that's just what these events should be, you know? Yes. Um there's a place for it. That's not it's not the height of comics, but I I'm, I'm going to enjoy it for four issues, I think, unless they do something completely batshit and stupid with it. <laughs> but Yeah, um I have a couple of, like, really minor gripes about it, which I feel like it's just a case of, like, these creators should know better. Like, okay. haven't there been a thousand tax, Task Force 11s, Task Force XIs in the last, like, year? Well, isn't this... I feel like this is the one from Williamson's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But didn't they just do this? Or was that XL? No, that was XL. That was XL. Oh, sorry. My bad. Okay, take that back. All right, it's fine. Oh, but, I don't blame you for <laughs> fucking up that <laughs> extremely stupid concept. Yeah. Um, but my, my one minor grip is that like, that villain's reveal was awesome, and I did really enjoy it. But I feel like calling that group villains, aside from Starro, is really weird. Like, <laughs> Sinestro was a Green Lantern not that long ago. Lobo was on the Justice League last month. Deathstroke has been led a superhero team three months ago. <laughs> Etrigan has been on how many, like, quote, teams over the last few years? And Lex Luthor is not evil anymore. So, like, it's Yeah, it's slightly but Superman un- can never trust him. I know, but it's slightly undercut by, like, the recent events mm-hmm. of, uh, of those. Not doesn't make it any less cool. It just makes it a little bit less impactful. Um, but, you know, aside from it feeling like a, uh, a bit of sort of set up overkill. I thought the issue worked. I thought that, that that bit at the end with Brainiac being like, there is one way to do this and we have to do it and then boom, his head explodes. 
Like, that was really... I liked that moment a lot. That was a really fun moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Next week, Crisis on Two Worlds. Yeah. Um... I uh, I have high hopes for this. I think no matter what, it's setting up everything else for interesting things. And I had a really small bit of hope, too. It begins with the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. And it was just so nice to not have Venditti writing the Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. I'm like, do you think by the time this ends, we'll have like a new Green... Like, do you think this will introduce a new GL status quo and that we'll have the Morrison announcement by the time this ends. Oh baby, well, yeah. So here's the thing. Venditti's run ends in August. Right. And we'll get the August solicits in two weeks from today. True. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we probably won't get an announcement until June of what's coming in September. But I feel like isn't that the kind of announcement you think they'd try and hold off until San Diego if they could? Ah, so there might be a fill-in for maybe a few, for a few months to do like remember remember at San Diego a few years ago they announced the Sandman um what was that that book called the the J H Williams Sandman oh, book uh, uh Odyssey? overture overture yeah and, and that was like nobody knew about that and it was a super surprise announcement and it was this huge San Diego moment I feel like they wanted something similar to that because DC has not had a crazy convention moment. In a long time. Mm-hmm. But who knows? We may get it with the June solicits. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if like they announced it maybe a bit earlier and then it wasn't solicited for a little while. I could see that happening even. Kind of like, like the Bendis stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, but, you know, kind of interestingly, I think in both cases, like No Justice and Man of Steel, I'm less excited about those two things than I am about... Justice League and right. Action and Superman. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. That's it's what fair. those things represent. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm invested in these in so much as I'm very excited for what they will lead to. Um, I'm although I'm, I am pretty excited for Man of Steel. Though yeah, I was gonna say stuff. I'm weirdly excited for that, and like I'm gonna say it every week, but like. I'm ready to be fooled all over again. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting for like six months down the road when I pick up that issue that's finally going to do it. And I read it and I go, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got me again. Ah, Bendis <laughs> got me again. Yeah. Oh, he's no Gene Parmesan. Oh, he's just an idiot in a bear costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh really quick can we mention how can we mention the star wars arrested development thing oh yes. god so good it was basically us it was it was the 100%. pete rose thing i couldn't believe they included the pete rose thing. <laughs> yeah. so great yeah oh uh. how much money would we have to raise for ron howard to do that again for uh empire in a few, in like six months. Uh-huh. Depends on how well Solo does, I think. That That is very true. <laughs> that is very true. Um, 
Yeah. Any other No Justice thoughts? No, I'm excited that it's weekly, too. Next that week, it's nice. the very next yeah. issue. Yeah. It's it's a rare treat that DC's been doing these weekly things every now and then. Mm-hmm. Man of Steel's going to be weekly. It's going to be it's going to be good. Although I could see Man of Steel falling behind schedule already. Don't say it. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Isn't wasn't Rich reporting that there's like a there's like a pool at DC about which issue is going to be the late one? <laughs> or I don't think it was which is going to be the late one. I think it was going to be which is going to have which is going to have a second artist finishing it. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, okay. I think that's what it was, yeah. Gotcha, okay. Essentially the same same question. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, um, yeah, this was fun. All right, well, let's talk about the last issue of Background the Birds of Prey, number 22, written by the Bensons, illustrated by Roja Antonio. Did either of you guys read this issue? Yes. One of exactly. us did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even for the last issue, couldn't give it up, huh? I honestly kind of forgot it was in there. <laughs> All right. I, I opened up and saw Batman White Knight up there at the top, and I was like, oh boy, I've got to read this. Yeah, you were just itching for it. Um, well, first of all, I want to point out how disappointed I am that uh, Kamome Shirahama... I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Did not get to do the variant cover with the new, like, variant yeah. redress style. Um, Kamome's covers have been, like, the highlight of this series for me. I think I've told you guys that I buy the variants from DCBS just to get those covers. Because mm-hmm. they're so pretty um, and fun. Uh, this issue, just kind of more of the same. Like, this book... I'm like a broken record when I talk about it. There's nothing particularly wrong with it. Sometimes it's a little corny. Sometimes it's a little boring. It's not awful. It's not low quality. It often has nice art. It's trying to be fun. Sometimes it succeeds. The finale was no different. And I'll just say I really liked how it wrapped up. Um, Brian, you read this? I did. Yeah. So it kind of wrapped up with them in the... uh, the dead Gus, Gus Yale, I believe his name was. Left Fake Oracle. Foracle. The Foracle, yep. Left a uh, sort of museum for them with all their old costumes and things. Including like... Black Canary's, uh, what was that book, Team 7? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it, her Team 7 uniform is in there. Yep. And I love shit like that. So it, it ended on a nice note for me, but really this was the same old story for the most part. Can, you, can we disagree to... Put a memorandum on I am Spartacus endings in books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a very overplayed trope in, in media in general. I am Oracle, Brian. But I am Oracle. Zach's Oracle, too. Yeah. Even though, well, he, didn't, even though he didn't read this, he's Oracle. Uh, yeah. This is fine. I, uh,. I have to. I wish I liked this arc, this this team more because I I, I really have enjoyed uh, Green Arrow so far in Rebirth, and since they're taking over, I wish I was more excited about their Green Arrow. But I, I think it, c- it can be fine. Mm-hmm. We'll just see. All right, Zach's favorite book, Batman White Knight, number eight, 
written and illustrated by Sean Murphy. Uh, what's there to say, guys? Zach, lay it on us. You like this book so much. Don't you think that, like, doesn't your, does your brain insert an F into the GTO logo? Because <laughs> it every time. Um, yeah, yes. Yep. That would, um, that would be twisted, though, for a policeman to have that on. So, I know, right? So twisted. Um, this issue does a, a, a bad thing where it makes Barbara kind of dumb. Or not? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Where, like, she would definitely understand what Freeze is talking about there. Probably better than he understands it. <laughs> yes. Honestly. Yeah. That's a nitpick. Um, what is that bit where Joker punches Neo, as we're calling her? First of all, that's the worst. Where there's, like... Whoa. A brain and a tongue? Whose brain was that? That's the Mad Hatter's. Yeah, the Mad Hatter's been sort of in that state since like the second or third issue. But why is he with her? Isn't he with her? Who's riding on her back? Who's running with her? Isn't it him? I thought so, but so his brain is just hanging out? I want to say... Hang on. What page is that in the PDF? Do you have the PDF uh, open? Uh, it is nine. Page nine. Okay, let's look at this. Fascinating radio. <laughs> All right, so she is... Or is that the ventriloquist dummy that's with that's her? That's the ventriloquist dummy that's with okay, her. Okay, that yeah. makes more sense. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um... In as much as this can make sense. I'm going to say something that I think is very fair about this comic. Because I don't want to treat it unfairly. I hate it, first of all. Like, I just really don't like this comic. Um, but I want to be fair to it. I think the last three, maybe four, I'm kind of blurring the lines here, issues were better when they got past... Basically, any of the logic or emotional taxation that the Joker, Harley, uh, White Knight transformation, Jack Napier stuff, anytime it tried any of that or focused on that too heavily, it's complete nonsense. I think it's all over the place thematically. I think it's, I don't want to say problematic because like, I don't think you need comics to be like 100% accurate with how that stuff works, especially when you're talking about the freaking Joker. But like a lot of it rang very false, you know, um, just that swallowing a whole bunch of pills would change him for a while or something like that. You know, things like that really bothered me when it got down to being a pure action comic, kind of the way that it has in the back half even though there's some really wonky character stuff in this that I really dislike, I dislike almost the, I dislike the take on almost every character here, you know, like I think Mr. Freeze is the one that's been consistently really good. Um, but I dislike the take on Barbara, Bruce, pretty much everyone. But I, I have to say like when he's doing his action thing, Sean Murphy's art is really great. Um, 
the first few issues had me doubting that because like I didn't want to see what he was drawing at those points. But in the back half, I, I can at least say that I really do appreciate that. I just wish it was some different take on these characters, somebody else writing. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so I, I have a couple of notes on this. Did anybody else feel that the final twist with Harley was totally unnecessary? What do you mean by twist? The idea that she was the one who like... Oh, oh she was the white knight. Kind of, but, like, but how, how she was the one who like who manufactured the drug that got Joker to not be crazy, and she did it to like prove this point and all that. It just seemed like it was a step too far that didn't need to be there. I don't think that added anything to the story. Do you? No. It felt like Murphy trying to have a more creative ending, but it just felt like okay. Well, who cares? It, it felt very flat for me. Yeah, I, f- I feel like at that point the why didn't matter, or the mechanism right, exactly. didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's my that's my first note. Uh, my second note is for something that was supposed to be this like incredibly personal is the wrong word, but like idiosyncratic hashtag twisted take on the Batman and Joker story. Didn't it end up as a pretty standard Batman and Joker story? <laughs> yep. Uh, so that, I don't want to say that bugged me, because I really don't, I didn't like the story to be, I, I wasn't looking for a twisted, dang Joker story. <laughs> so, you know, that doesn't really bother me. It just seems like it's a weird place for the book to to wind up. Where like, at the end of the book, everybody pretty much says, you're Batman, you're great. Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of felt like they skipped a lot of the Joker being the White Knight stuff. Like, yeah, that was that was a relatively minor part of the book. It was a lot of him talk, standing around talking about what he wants to do for Gotham, and then it was like the tiniest dash of like, "Here's what I'm actually doing," kind of with the Duke. In I for, I always forget the name of that neighborhood. Um, in the neighborhood that Duke is like the spokesperson for. I always want to say the glades, but that's from Arrow. No, yeah, it's but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of that Joker, uh, Jack Napier stuff helping out, being being working with Duke and being like um, a vocal leader in that respect. And then all of that is dropped incredibly quick. Like, I feel like that was just a small, small slice of the pie in what was otherwise a very conventional. So then at the end when he's like, you know, I was just trying to save God. Like, I felt like, well, we didn't actually spend enough time watching you do that or succeed at doing that for it to matter or for me to feel anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And then. Yeah. Go ahead. My last note is just uh, I also felt like there were a lot of decisions that were made when the book got push from a seven to eight issue series that also had to do with the book's success. Like, didn't it feel like the Joker should have died at the end of this? Mm. But that he's just hanging on because there's going to be a sequel series eventually. I'm, I'm glad that that ha- I I do agree with you. It felt like that, but yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I just feel like it's, it, it, the whole story was set up for him to die and then he doesn't. I'm tired. I'm tired of like the hero or the villain having to die at the end. You know, 
I'm tired of there having to be a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Murphy has said that for the second volume, he wants to create a bunch of characters, basically for the IP. Oh he's he's been he's been very upfront about that. I'd honestly probably be more okay with that. Yeah, I would rather him do something really unique and original. Yeah. Uh, oh, this man. is the new character called uh, the Jester. That's right. He's the Jester. He does pranks. The next volume is going to be so... It's going to be so over the top. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to be somehow even more myopic than this. Oh, it's going to be like... It's going to take full advantage of the Black Label thing. This just like tested the waters. As long as I get to see the Joker fuck. You will definitely get to. Yeah. I was honestly surprised that this last issue, since it seemed like it had, you know, it was an extra issue, probably had more time to go into it, probably knew that the Black Label thing was going to be a thing, that it didn't have more, you know, gratuity. Yeah. More fan service, as it were. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fare thee well, White Knight, till we meet again. Probably in a year. That's my guess. My guess is White Knight Volume 2 like rounds out the second wave of uh, Black Label announcements. Mm. Um, next up is Detective Comics number 980, written by James Titan IV, illustrated by Scott Eaton. Oh, um, my darn. Yeah, this goes there, guys. It does go there. Zach, talk about it. Well, if that hadn't gone there, I probably wouldn't have thought very much of this issue. <laughs> Is that bad? I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I mean, would you have liked it as much if it hadn't gone there? Not as much, but uh, but because I feel I feel like that's the only kind of unique thing about it. Otherwise, it's a very by the numbers OMAC comic. Uh, yeah, maybe. I I really liked the uh, Bullock and Montoya scene. That was that was good. That I was thought good. that was like perfect Bullock. Um, I thought the Scott Eaton pencils were pretty good for Scott Eaton. You know, it was the good Scott Eaton. It was the good Scott Eaton. Yeah, the good one. He's good again. Um, and then you know, I I feel like, yeah, okay, sure. The rest of it was just this Ulysses Olmac stuff, but like that ending, I don't think you can undersell that. That's it's not a minor aspect of what's going on here it's not it's not to have it's a big deal yeah it is although i have two very small gripes with it God, guy, jesus Christ. No, 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 no. Hear, hear, hear me out no hear it's fine out. i like gripes um I like so, grimes you know, <laughs> oh i love grimes so much vince really loves frank grimes no <laughs> uh, simpsons reference inserted um no, my uh, my two small gripes are this. The first is that I feel like so much of Steph's character in Detective has been about how she doesn't need the Bat family, how she's fine on her own, and this kind of has her fangirling over being a part of the Bat family and somewhat undoes that character growth that even earlier in the issue, she basically says, like, I'm better than this. And then she kind of backtracks on that because she was Robin once. Does that make sense? It totally it, it makes sense, yeah. It does, but I read it more as like 
I read it more as like, oh, I have a bigger seat at this table if I want one. You know, like she can either she can either go her own way or she can have a bigger seat at in the Bat Family and influence things more than she thinks. Does that? Yeah, the cast what? stuff really worked for me. Yeah, like when she points to the logo and she's like, "They let me." Yeah, like, that totally works for me more than Steph all of a sudden forgetting all of her gripes and, and being okay with this. Okay, that's fair. Uh, the real question like, is, can she call it another lonely day? <laughs> well played, well played. God damn. Um, my, uh, my my other, and this isn't so much a gripe as just a a question. Were we supposed to be led to believe that Ulysses comes from the pre-Flashpoint timeline? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's just like tapping into future Tim's yeah. stuff, right? So is, Who so came is from the Tim, other. So is future Tim from the pre-Flashpoint timeline? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think, think that's, that's confirmed I think that's here. Been, yeah, that's been hinted at before. It has. I wasn't sure if this is the confirmation of that now, though. I think it is, yeah. Okay. Um, oh man, these these timelines gotta converge, boys. Well, that that that's to me that's really interesting and that's really fun. I don't know how much it's it's actually funny. I was thinking like while reading the first part of this issue, I was thinking how as much as I've enjoyed Stefan Cass in this, and they've both been really good. There's always something lost when you take away their times as Batgirl, and then like later in the issue we got that. And I was like, oh, man, this is Christmas. This is great. Yeah. I was eggplant emojiing all. Oh, we got the text. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but I, I will say, I, I do think the point about, about Steph is valid. Um, but overall. Well, I'm, glad, I'm I, glad you think your own point is valid, Brian. No, no, no. Cause here, here's what I'm going to say, though. I don't think it took away from the scene, but I think, it, I think when, when thinking about it, like, bigger picture, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Vince, you are the smartest one on the show. Truly. Oh, eat shit. Eat <laughs> shit. Everybody's always saying, Vince, how right you are. That was, I will admit, I have, I have invalid concerns at times. <laughs> invalid observations. No, no. I'm, you're, it's, it was just funny the way you said that. I agree with you. I think that is a valid gripe. The more I think about it, yes. Okay. Um... But it's the best thing in the issue, so... Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that, that there could be... And I think, I mean, I think Tynion gets these characters so well. I think that there totally could be a conversation in the finale of Steph saying to Bruce, like, you know, now that I've been made... Essentially what Vince said, like, now that I've been made aware of what could be, you things need to change because... I want to be a bigger part of this, but I won't in this current like situation. Yeah, I love that's. I hope it goes there because that's kind of what I envision, and I, I I love that idea. I think that's the perfect capstone for Tynion's run, and a way to keep Steph Brown involved and to yet stay true to all the work that he did with her. You know. Yeah, I wonder if she's going to join that Outsiders team too. Oh baby. What if to go with the three Jokers, we end up with three Batgirls? That's fucking messed up, Zach. <laughs> oh, listed even? He cripples all three. 
I do. Oh gosh, don't go. Oh gosh. <laughs> then we really could the have no I'm Oracle. No I'm Oracle. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> this is a bad joke. I do miss these costumes though. Like they're the they're great costumes. True ten out of tens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna miss tying it on this book. Yeah, me too. I'm sure we'll like him on uh, on dark, but I wonder if he's going to be doing something else. He is Brian. Don't forget the immortal, immortal man. man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'll forget the immortal man in a couple minutes. Um... <laughs> no, because you know you figure he was doing a twice monthly book in Detective, but Dark is only a monthly book. Yeah, but isn't he, like, co-writing on Justice League some, too? Yeah, I, I could see him being sort of, like, the connective tissue between those three Justice League books. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. But I, I'm excited for that stuff. I'm really excited for to see how he wraps up this arc. And, and I like that, like, this arc, what's made this arc so great is all the strife between team members. Like, it's it's been really good Bat Family drama. And Bat Family drama is oftentimes not good. But it's it's been very good here. But I like that the that the series is wrapping up with them working together on a positive mm-hmm. note. That mm-hmm. makes me happy. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Eternity Girl number three, written by Magdalene Visaggio, illustrated by Sonny Liu. Vince, we'll let you start. I love this book. I went back and read all the backups that were in the Milk Wars thing, and I read issues one and two again. Just because because I opened up... Th- this often happens with monthly books, and when you read 50-some books a month, it's tough. Um, but I just couldn't remember exactly what had happened in the last two issues. So I just read it all again, and man, do I love it. Um, first of all, I love the cover. I just want to talk about the cover first. It's... Uh, like her head in a TV that has like the dancing skeletons from that really old black and white cartoon that scares the shit out of me <laughs> to this day. <laughs> um, but then just, I just love the scope of this thing and I love how it's not afraid to, it's not afraid to let you try to figure out or maybe not even, you don't even need to figure out what's happening in reality and what's happening in uh, sort of the delusion uh, that Eternity Girl or Chrysalis or um, Caroline, I believe is her real name, is going through because like, I remember reading the first issue and we were trying to figure out what happened at the end of it with that semi-truck that like came through while they were having lunch, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you realize if you read it if you read it all together that these are delusions that she's having based on um like suicidal ideation, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's so much symbolism that Sonny Lou puts into this and, and Megalyn Visaggio working in tandem. But like visually there's so many overlapping elements between the different sort of worlds that we see um and the going back and reading the 
the backups really helped with a lot of that because you see a lot of imagery from the Milk Wars backups recur in Eternity Girl issues one through three. And then you can kind of place it and relate it to other things. And uh, it's a really, really rewarding book, I think. I'm I'm just in love with it. I'm in love with the way it's telling the story and not feeling like it needs to hold your hand, you know? Um, what about you guys? Zach, go ahead. I, I thought this was spectacular. I think this, this book is just a delight. Um, I, I didn't go back and read the issues, but I think this issue, I did pick up on some of the, the like delusion aspect as well. Um, you know, especially towards the end of the issue that really kind of like brings that to the forefront. But then there's some other things happening too throughout like um, the new, that new hero guy comes in, um, Rick or whatever, I think Rick Rex. Yeah. And there's that just one panel where the, the Adam lady comes like punches him from behind which I feel I think is like an allusion to one of the past continuities or something. Yeah. Um, so specifically, so there's, oh, there's like all, uh, there's just like all of these interweaving continuities happening, and just the again, you know, kind of playing with the death and rebirth and the eternal, you know, never ending reality of of stories and and comics in particular. I I think it's all just a delight. Yeah, that that scene that you brought up in particular with with her punching through his chest is specifically from the there's a, there was a Milk Wars backup where the issue was supposedly published in 1983 mm-hmm. and it was so clear like the two pages were so clearly a Watchmen pastiche. Right. Like Caroline's wearing the uh essentially the trench which she wears in this issue, you know, she, it's mm-hmm. part of her costume, but it's essentially the Rorschach trench coat. And everything's a nine panel grid. And of course there's like this big violent climax where she punches through, uh, Rex's chest like that. And, um, yeah, so that's alluding specifically to that. So having gone back and read that, I could appreciate the little panel when it showed up here. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, thank you for pointing that out. This is all stuff that's circular, circular, as you say, Mm-hmm. Uh, cyclical is the word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah, I'm in a food coma right now. No, you're. Which like that's so. Those backups could have been, you know, nothing, but they really did set the stage for this book in a way that I don't think any of us really expected. Well, yeah. that that was actually my comment when reading this issue was that this is the most ambitious book DC's publishing. Yeah, yeah, and I that think so. it was it was built up through what could have been relatively innocuous backups, it's not with a highlighted character, it's not an ongoing, it's not from superstar creators. I mean, it's, I love both these creators, but these are not the type of names that... This, this isn't Grant Morrison doing this book, right? And I just think it shows such confidence in Gerard Way and Young Animal, or or maybe it's just that Gerard Way is such a good, you know... Um, Scout for talent, basically. Yeah, so, yeah so, high for talent. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That just, you know, this is the most ambitious book DC is publishing. It could be, I could totally understand if somebody read this book 
and said, you know what, this isn't for me. There's it's it's too obtuse. It's too whatever. I understand that. I disagree. But you, this is a heady cerebral book. It doesn't have easy answers. It's elliptical. It's you know it, but it it's so unbelievably works for me, and it scratches an itch that DC doesn't doesn't often scratch. Yeah, and, this and you, feels, you mentioned. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. I was no, I'm no, going to build off something you said. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say you mentioned Morrison. Like this could be one of those books that you know a decade from now is viewed as. As like a, a um, like Flexman Tallow or yeah, oh yeah, or something like that. You know, this this is that kind of book. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, the one the one last thing I want to say before we move on, if you guys don't have anything else to say, is uh, I think the mistake I made when I started out reading this book was that I was trying to find the explanation for all the symbolism and. Some of it, having reread it now, some of it you don't get until an issue or two later. So I feel like I'm, I need to stop trying to figure everything out before it happens necessarily and, and allow myself to be a little bit confused for a while. Because I also think that there's something to, even though there's delusion going on in this book and even though um, you can't always tell when or where everything is taking place... I think there is something to accepting the idea that this is science fiction and, uh, you know, when you see them attacking or starting up the chaos engine, the chaos engine can, until you figure out all the themes, just be a chaos engine, you know, (laughs) like it's okay to just, that's a chaos engine. This is what it does within the science fiction. And I feel like whenever I read a book that's kind of off the wall like this a little bit, I spend too much of my time trying to figure out, okay, what's the subtext for absolutely everything that I'm seeing? And I think that that's kind of damaging to the my enjoyment of a book as I'm reading it, you know? That's interesting. I, I've been thinking a lot about that in sort of a broader context lately. By the way, have you seen Infinity War yet? No. <laughs> okay. This is not This is not spoiling Infinity War, but... I think Zach will agree with me about this. There are a number of scenes with Thanos in it where when you realize what stones he has, if you think about it too much, it spoils the scene. Does that make sense, Zach? I'm talking specifically about the... the um, I, I, I'm trying not to say anything to, to, to spoil it for Vince here. That's right, fine. Right. Just... I, don't, I don't know exactly what you mean, I don't think. Okay, okay so I feel like they're... The scene with the, with the bubbles gun. Yes. Okay? Yes. I feel like if you remember what stones he has leading up to that scene, you can figure out what's happening. What's going to happen, yeah. Yes. And, and I think sometimes, especially as people who talk about this stuff all the time, you're always looking for figuring it out as opposed to enjoying the narrative as it's being presented. And, and, and that's not exactly the same thing you're saying, Vince, but, I, but I, I think that overall sometimes we just try too hard to do something other than just enjoy what's put in front of us. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, I think you nailed it. That's that's what I've been feeling, yeah. And, and once I... Once I broke free from that and I reread all this stuff and I just 
take most of what I'm reading in this issue for for face value, that's when it really I mean, I've always liked this book from the beginning, but that's when it really clicked as maybe kind of what you said, the most ambitious thing DC's putting out. Like one of my top three books that either DC or Marvel is publishing right now, if not the top one for me. Um, yeah. Oh, I love this thing. Yeah. It's really special. Um, let's, let's take a break on a high note. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute with more DC three cast. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the comic syllabus podcast a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And we're back to talk about Hal Jordan and the Green Love. Sorry, I fell asleep fucking talking about the title. Um, I am the law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his uh, doing his best Sly Stallone Judge Dredd impression on the cover there. Uh, you guys remember that movie? You guessed it. Frank Stallone. Yep. Do you remember that Rob Schneider was the secondary lead in that movie? Yeah. I do. Yeah. He was the making copies guy. He was. Judge Dredd. <laughs> Dread, the, the dread serving justice. Um, yeah, wearing the helmet. <laughs> he said he Bang. never wears the helmet in that movie, which is yeah, the that's true. Part. Yeah, banging the gavel of justice. <laughs> there's a Most... there's Goldface is back in this. No, Goldface is dead in this. Well, he's back and dead again. Uh, written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Brendan Peterson, who I really like. Yeah, this is. This looks good. gorgeous. This is really good art. Yeah, um, I love I love the scene where Hal's on his knee and uh, Barry fl- yep. like zooms in. Yep, great composition there. Yeah, this looks really good. It's too bad the story is really lame. It's uh, yeah. it's really interesting though. I wasn't expecting this crossover. I don't know if they got Donny Cates' permission to bring in the Cosmic Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh, I, I will say there's one little Easter egg that I really love. Uh, Guy Gardner is wearing a T-shirt with the Warrior logo on it. Dig he, that. Yeah, he's done that before. I feel, I feel like you've commented on that before in some other book. Whatever they do it, I love it. Yeah. It, it, it's so on brand for that character. Yep. One of my favorite bits in any comic, I probably said this before too, is in the in Green Lantern Rebirth when they're in Warriors... There are statues of the four Earth Green Lanterns, and his is significantly larger than the other three. Oh, nice. I love that. It's a perfect little touch. Um, yeah. yeah, no, This Looks Gorgeous was just not a very good book, although I have to say, I do like the idea of the core bringing together like all of their allies, like bringing in the new gods and Z- the Zod family and all that. I-, I like that concept because I just like it when unusual people team up together. Yeah. But, but this is not done very well. Well, and the thing is that if, if if you were a fan of Venditti's Green Lantern run, and believe it or not, there are people out there that are, um, this is time. It's literally throwing every major arc that Venditti did kind of into a blender, because he had the Zod arc, he had the uh, Orion stuff, you know, 
It's, we have it's two new God's arcs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's and, basically um, how do I squeeze as much of this stuff that I liked into my comic before I have to leave and let Grant Morrison do it all? <laughs> right. Yeah. And although he did take the atomic skull from Superwoman, he did take the atomic skull. For, yes. Yep. Yep. But Hector Hammond's back. He's good again. Yeah. Like I said, th- this this is one of the better issues of the series because of how good the art was. And because I like the getting the band together stuff. But it's not a particularly good comic. Yeah. Did you read it, Zach? I skimmed it. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you beer Guy when he asked you to beer him? I didn't, no. Oh. Lord, beer me strength. I poured beer. I, I probably him. will read this more fully lately. Because, I, I mean, I'm not, like, invested. But I, you know, this is the last arc. It's been a few issues since we've had Ethan Van Skyver, so I've built up a good, uh, like a small bit of goodwill. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was just part one. I thought the last issue was part one, or was I guess it was just the prelude. Yeah, I thought it was issue. part. One. I thought last week was part one too, but you know. Oh well, whatever. Yeah, we're getting vindicated. We're getting got vindicated again. <laughs> um, now, I mean, like conceptually, I I I like the idea of you know getting the band back together. Um, tying it all back up. Again, we talked about how books do that now, yeah. or or creators do that when they're going out. So <laughs> that's right. Thing to do. Thing to do. Let's talk about uh, the Wild Storm, Michael Cray, number seven, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by N. Stephen Harris. I'm guessing Zach did not read this one. No, I read this. I've read this. I thought you weren't reading this. No, I read this. Okay. I guess you just don't like this. I actually really like this issue. Did anyone else see the Diana reveal coming a mile away? I I actually didn't. I didn't, no. I I didn't see it either. I actually, uh, I had to give myself a little credit then. I I saw it and I was like, oh, that's probably Wonder Woman. That's kind of cool. And then it was. And it was kind of (laughs) cool. No, I actually thought we were past all that nonsense. Um... (laughs) Um, but I actually, of all the, like, you know, throwing the Justice League characters in, I thought this was the best reveal and worked really well in the confines of the story. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this issue, this book is in a much better place now as it enters its second half. Yeah, I can agree with that. I thought the art really benefited from a, a month break. We got we had a month long break, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think both uh, Wildstorm books took the month off in in April. Yeah, I, bo- I think that's true. Uh, we saw Michael Cray's ass in this. We did. It's true. We did. We did see that sweet, sweet can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this this Constantine is one hundred percent Grant Morrison, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like if there was any doubt, um, Grant Morrison's so nice though. This is yeah. evil Grant Morrison. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah, totally. The, you know, the real Grant Morrison is like up in DC Comics over the, what's it called? He's behind the source wall. Yeah. Well, there's like a name for it on the multiversity map. Yeah. Um, oh, it's yeah, like the yeah. over, the over something, I think. Um, oh, I was thinking about this because I, I was. As I was paging back through Milk Wars, you know, there's a lot of the multiversal map in that, too. 
Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was thinking, like, before Grant Morrison dies, just to be audacious, he should, you know, in whatever, like, his last book with DC is, he should establish that, like, you zoom out from the multiversal map and it's entirely within the mind of Grant Morrison. <laughs> So, like, essentially before he dies, he takes credit for basically every good thing about DC. Well, I mean, it, it basically almost is on the map. It's the Overvoid. And at the top of the map, it's Overvoid. And there's a cloaked figure who is probably Grant Morrison. Oh, and the that's whole thing. Like, I mean, it almost it looks kind of like Destiny from uh, The Endless. Uh-huh. But it's also, like, it's definitely Grant Morrison. Yeah, it's it's Grant. It just is. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you would think, like in DC Universe, which is which has literally hundreds of characters, if not thousands of characters that appear regularly or semi regularly. Aside from Grant Morrison, name name two other bald characters: Lex Luthor and. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of it. It's like yeah. you hear that there's there's no one else who's like a bald, clean shaven guy. Oh, Dan DiDio showed up in that uh, <laughs> Jeff Johns Superboy Prime Blackest Night issue. So, but, but he had, but he has like the horseshoe thing going on. He shaves it sometimes. I think I've never been he... bald. Yeah. Greatest head of hair in comics. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm not saying I never would. <laughs> uh... Um, but yeah, th- this issue was good. I had fun with this issue. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I like the little touch of Wonder Woman's lasso being a chain lasso. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Doug that. Um, it's because you're such an edgelord, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You've, you've solved me. You have solved me. Oh... Alright. Let's talk about New Superman and the Justice League of China, number 23. Written by Jean Lu and Yang, illustrated by Brett Peoples. Uh, I love this variant cover so much. Yeah, the karaoke. Of all the Asian characters doing karaoke. Are, yeah. they, are they singing What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding? <laughs> uh, what's the other song from Lost in Translation? Uh... More Than This by... Uh, Oh, uh, by fucking uh, oh. uh, Brian Ferry's band. What the fuck? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shit! Come on. More than this. Roxy music. There we go. There you go. There uh, you go. Sorry, it took me a second. Yeah, great I'll cover. Be... Yeah, uh, the issue itself pretty good too. Yes, pretty good issue. I oh. I love this issue. Speak this book on is it. So great. What do you love about it, Zach? Um, I mean, I'm still loving this. Is, this is this is the wrong Asian culture, but it's very shonen-y with oh. all of its like transformations and like power changes. You know? Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, I love the explanation for for Kenan's, uh two forms you know yes yeah the yang it it feels like you know it i i trust gene lu and yang with this material but it feels like uh 
you know, imagine if some white guy was like, uh, I'm going to make a superhero <laughs> with two forms. One's he's going to be the yin and one's going to yeah. be the yang. And it, and it would be completely superficial and not. I mean, this is this is really the, the this comic. I mean, if if you don't think that it's common sense already, which I do. But like, if you don't think it's common sense, this comic is the perfect argument for representation, right? Yeah. Because like, yeah. imagine anyone else writing this comic and how it would come off. And Gene Lu and Yang writes it, and you feel like it's coming from a place of val- like it's valid. There's validation. Uh, it's not just a corny surface level uh, sort of dealing with these themes. You know, I, like I really feel like he understands it and is able to imbue that in the characters in a way that no other writer really could. Right? Yeah. I love the Green Lanterns in this issue. Yeah, mm, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of just like jobbers. Yeah, they're just like the, my favorite line here. It, it's it's towards I guess the end of the issue. Uh, Keaton is trapped in the Kryptonite cube, and he says, "Forget about me, go for not the Kryptonite cube, the Green Lantern cube." Uh, forget about me. Go find a way to free Dragon Son. And then one of the lanterns says, "Relax, Con Keenan. Flash will have plenty of time to forget about you as you rot away in prison." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, this book is is really, really great, and I think it's ending, and I'm sad about that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a big. It's a shame. Um, I wonder if this won't show up with Gene Yang doing a couple of OGNs about these characters. Oh, I hope so. Because I feel like in those new DC Ink and Zoom imprints, I feel like there is room for these books in a way that there may not be without those imprints. Yeah. And Brent Peoples, well, well, he's no Bogdanovic. I think he's done a nice job sort of making some of these characters his own. I particularly love his Batman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I love the design for the stupid, sexy uh, Korean Aquaman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, I also like the I... Luke Skywalker thing of, like, being in two places at once. <laughs> yes. That is good, too. I really don't want this book to go away. It seems like such a waste... I mean, I can maybe understand. I mean, he has been writing it. 25 Issues is a good run. It's a good run these days, Um, yeah. It's a good run, but it seems like there's so much more potential here, especially with all the new Justice League stuff coming out. Um, But um, quick note about that variant cover. Um, There was another one earlier in the series where I think it's like they're all having a big dinner together. Do you remember the one? I, I don't offhand, but I believe Okay. That. There's one with almost, I think, like, this exact same grouping of characters, but they're all kind of sitting around a dinner table, a la, like, the the Justice Society Thanksgiving uh-huh. cover. And there's a ramen place here that has just a giant blown-up version of that on their wall. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's really great. Do you patronize them every single day? Because you should. I, tr- I, tr- I, tr- I try to. It's pretty pricey. But um, <laughs> it's actually a list. Yeah, you're right. They actually, I kick myself every day because um, earlier, 
a few months ago they did this special where they had like seven weeks in a row where they had a themed um like special ramen bowl that was like you know pop culture themed and if you mm-hmm. bought all seven you would get a t-shirt that was a cool and b entitled you to a free bowl of ramen once a week and I'm I and I missed like wow. the first two weeks of it, so I I didn't get it. Broke my heart. Understandably so. But but yeah, I, this this is the the one time I will say uh, about this. Vince was totally right. <laughs> oh, Vince was Vince was you, right. You say that every time we talk about this book. I know. I give you credit for it. I'm I, I, I'm. I'm not hating on this. I, I I was wrong about this book, and I want people to know that Vince was right. I want you to keep saying it after it's canceled, though. Oh, no. That's it. <laughs> you, you get two more months of this, and that's it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but, yeah. Um, let's talk about Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 22. Written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy, although he had help on this issue. The uh, the Artemis flashbacks were done by somebody else. Who did this? Yeah, um, Alison Borges. Yeah, Alison Borges. This book is still good. Man, it's heading for a heartbreak, though. It is. Yeah, it is. A lot of feels at the end of this issue. Yes. Man, everything that Bizarro does is, like, very emotional. Yeah. He, and I have to say, I think Lobdell... Scared. Yeah. I think Lobdell also does a good job with Luthor here. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't think so? No, I do. Yeah, I was saying I yeah, agree. I yeah. I was gonna say I think Luthor is a harder character than people maybe sometimes realize to get the tone right, and I think he nails the tone here. When did Lob Dog get so good, guys? We say this every month too. Uh, I don't know who had this. When did Rebirth start? Yeah. Who knew he had this in him? I love Dexter Soy's Bizarro. Mm-hmm. It's so great. He he is really what you would expect, like a bizarro Christopher Reeve to look like. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's great. If um if Dexter Soy is at New York Comic Con this year, I'm going to try and get him to do a bizarro sketch for me. Oh, that's nice. Because that's I feel like I, I like to try and get creators to do characters that I associate with them. You know, um, like I, I have a uh, a Trevor McCarthy Nightwing I really cherish because I think. His Nightwing is one of the best Nightwings. And I feel like with Dexter Soy, he's just done such a great job with Bizarro. That's the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaker. <laughs> Shoe, shoemaker. <laughs> Don't you mess around with me. Hey, George. George, I got that song in my head again. <laughs> you don't think that nerve disease is contagious? <laughs> Big Stein can't be flopping in a twitching. <laughs> you have broken up, Zach. You really got him with that one. <laughs> oh, empty calories and male curiosity. Hey, Georgie boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's good imagine what if Seinfeld was still on TV <laughs> what if Jerry reads sideways 
Dude, um, what if Vince reads sideways? Because, guys, I got a confession to make. Okay. I I like this book, and I completely forgot it was out this week, and I just didn't read it. And well, I like it. This is the worst issue of the book, so oh, is lucky. It? Yeah, okay. it's not very good. Lead, lead me uh, through, guys. Tell me why. I mean, it's it's not bad. I, I, I it's will still fine. Say, this is still probably the best New Age of Heroes book that isn't called The Terrifics. Um, no, I mean, that's why Terrifics is not very good now. Yeah, that, that one last, issue wasn't very good. Issue, <laughs> no, I don't think any of the issues have been very good. I'm gonna... That first issue, come on, with all the Plastic Man stuff. The art was good. <laughs> Damn, Zach. Fucking ice cold. Poopity scoop. <laughs> Poopity scoop. Keep it loopy, poopity scoopity. <laughs> we have to somehow abbreviate keep it loopy to eight characters so you can get knuckle tattoos that say keep it loopy. <laughs> K-P-I-T-L-O-P-Y. L-U-P-Y. Keep it loopy. There we go. Uh, no, uh, we should say written by Dan DiDio and Justin Jordan, illustrated by Ken Rockefort. Um I feel like this issue had the least amount of character development for Sideways himself. He he's sort of still the the cocky shithead that he was in earlier issues, but in this issue he like he does everything wrong essentially. Uh which could be endearing, but it wasn't uh I don't know, this issue just didn't work as well for me. And this up with his mom bored me. Yeah. Is this Hotshot guy? Is he someone we've seen before? Is he that... said he was a Teen Titan. Who's this like, guy? Yeah. Who's this villain that looks like the thing crawled into a pair of Spanx? <laughs> uh, that would be the Replicant. <laughs> Is that really his name? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. They were, they were going to call him Decker, but it was a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. So the Replicant instead. Yep. Okay. Blade Runner. Um... Yeah. Uh, this is fine. I, I I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of this issue. Yeah. Um, it kind of felt like it felt like the first three issues had a real story to tell, and this one sort of felt like it didn't. Like it was there wasn't any real purpose behind this issue aside from maybe the stuff with the mom, and I'm not really interested in the stuff with the mom. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to go back and read it because I I really am enjoying this book. Um, I don't know how it slipped past me. Um, one Whoa. that I'm sure slipped past everyone was Suicide Squad number forty one, <laughs> written by Rob Williams, illustrated away by uh, Eduardo Pensica. Did either of you guys read this? I skimmed it. I didn't read all the words. I must admit. Zach. Uh, sorry. Which book are we talking about? I just saw something that like blew my mind. Uh, we'll share that first, then we'll talk about Suicide Squad. Um, so the last issue of Batman that was really bad, yeah, has a six point eight on Comic Book Roundup. Yeah, the people are right for once. I mean, it's worse than a no, six point eight. It should be worse than a six point eight. No, I know it's worse than a six point eight. But like when you consider what Batman scores on average, there, like Tom King's Batman on average is scoring in the eights. I think. Yeah. And well, it's that catching on it gets a yellow. It's not in the green anymore. It's a yellow. Well, you saw that that CBR take across. that you guys where it said that that 
that the art that, that yes issue, i did see that that was really bad we should have that, talked about that that issue quote fixed booster gold jesus christ ah oh. can you imagine being that wrong about anything no i don't even want to think about it anymore <laughs> don't even i'd rather talk about suicide squad <laughs> well you're in luck let's do it i didn't even open suicide squad okay um so batman's we... back and he's good again yeah so Batman essentially breaks Deadshot out of prison because Deadshot's daughter is in trouble, which is something that Batman might do. Especially like they they do try and tie this in to the Justice League versus Suicide Squad event and the sort of détente that the two of them had in that event, but it's uh not a great comic. No. And am I am I correct in seeing that uh Captain Cold is joining the Suicide Squad at the end? He is. Well, lottie freaking da. Yeah. Uh, I will also say that this issue begins to sow seeds of Katana leaving the Suicide Squad to join the Outsiders. For the Outsiders, yeah. Yeah, So so there's that happening here. Um, But yeah, you're not missing anything. Mm. I, I am a little tired of Batman being capable of doing literally everything in the world. (laughs) in this issue he essentially as he breaks into bell rev he also changes the frequency for all their brain bombs yeah and just you know i know he's prepared and all that but come on that's comics baby yeah uh speaking of comics baby the flash number 46 by josh williamson illustrated by scott collins scott collins on flash art again (laughs) there it is there it is yeah, uh, this is really good. It was really good. Josh Williamson hitting hitting the stride right now in this book. Yeah, um, I agree. Even if it's a little bit of a cock teaser, maybe is what I would say because you uh, ca- okay, okay, you went half hamburger there. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why is Joshua Williams from Suicide Squad such a cock tease? The Flash, you mean? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still, I, I'm still, I'm still uh, stuck in Suicide Squad. Yeah. yeah, no, it's because because I think I think we expected maybe to get a little bit more insight to what Wally knows about his past or how much he knows or or at least see some of it. Well, and he you, seems to know everything. Yeah, that's. I think that's what we can take from this, but I, I guess I expected to see more of that on the page, you know? But really what it is is it's more him dealing with the fact that that's happening to him. Right. And I think that that's equally valid. It's just the, the issue kind of went a different direction from what I was expecting, and it ended up being no less satisfying, you know? Yeah. Um, can we I, – I need some clarification on something. Go for it. So that scene where he, while he's being like experimented on, not really experimented on, but like they're, they're like monitoring him and Cyborg is there and he starts seeing Cyborg. Through history. Through history. Where's that gold costume from? That like that, old... that happened. Um, there was like an upgrade to his costume. I want to say it was late in the Wolfman Perez run. Okay. Um, but that, that is definitely, like, it, it's funny because when I was, when I was reading it, I, I did exactly what you're supposed to do in that scene. 
I was like, it's so weird that Drew Cyborg in his old costume looked over one panel. Oh, I see what's happening now. You know what I mean? Like it was. Uh uh-huh, like, Yeah, yeah. It, it really it, it played out exactly as it should have played out. I um, just didn't know if that was like throughout history or if that was getting into like different continuities. No, if you know I what I mean. Be, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Vince just shared a, a photo of, or a picture rather, of, not a photo. It's not a photo of the real life cyborg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, oh, but, but there, that looks even different than the other one, though. I want to yeah. say there was a time when he was solid gold, perhaps. Okay. Solid gold, baby. Yep. Casey Kasem's top 40 countdown. Sending um, out thing to a fucking dead dog. You've heard that before, right? <laughs> yeah, his, yeah. His meltdown. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Scoob. So, <laughs> so here's another thing, though. Like, has Hunter Zolomon like just been hanging out? He seems like 100% pre-Flashpoint character. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. This this is like the nerdiest sentence I've ever said out loud. Like, I don't know if Flashpoint affected characters in the future. Like, you know, well, he's not um, in the future, though. But well, isn't he, though? Isn't no. he hanging out in the 25th century? Well, now he is, but he wasn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. I don't know. You know, to be honest, I find it really tough to tell when something is supposed to be from a pre-Flashpoint continuity or if it's just alternate timeline, timey-wimey stuff because they've done both. They've yeah, done both, uh-huh. like, this character is from pre-Flashpoint or remembers pre-Flashpoint. This other character is from a different timeline, but it's within the New 52 continuity. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop trying to guess where somebody's from unless they specifically <laughs> give you some sort of hint that, like, like an explicit hint. Oh, you want me to be explicit? Uh, about, that's an Arrested Development for you. I don't know if we did one of those yet today. But um, uh, unless they're explicit about, like, mentioning something that would indicate specifically that it's from pre-Flashpoint, I don't think I'm very good at guessing whether that's the case or not. I seem to always be wrong, (laughs) and I'm rendered a fool in the eyes of our listeners. (laughs) I will say I loved the Barry Alfred scenes. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Um. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this issue quite a bit. It was good. Yeah, it was good. You know, it wasn't very good. The Immortal Man number two. Oh boy. <laughs> written by James Hyden the Fourth, illustrated by Ryan Benjamin. You know, for not a Jim Lee comic, this looks a lot like Jim Lee. Yeah, it's right. Benjamin doing his best, Jim Lee. He really is doing a great Jim Lee impression. I got to give it to him. I I couldn't get past the first page, you guys. Really? Uh, I was reading uh, all that. I was reading all that narration, and I'd get to the end of the page, and I would realize that I don't remember what I just read, and then I'd go back and I'd read it, and I can't. I, none of it's sticking, so I just had to give up. And I just that first page I think is kind of tough. <laughs> I think I'm just going to avoid this book now. I think I'm done already with it. And I think, 
I think I can definitively say the New Age of Heroes is a bust. So you guys can talk about this issue, but I think it's a bust for me. I'll say a couple of things. Uh, I forgot Moon Knight was in this book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also forgot The Shadow was in this book. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and, Magog uh, is in this book. Yeah, I forgot Wolfsbane from uh, fucking uh, Youngblood is in this book. Yeah. Which one is Wolfsbane? I don't know if I know who Wolfsbane is. It's the one that looks like a wolf. Yep. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I didn't know if you meant... Uh, there's like a new a Native American New Mutants character. I thought maybe you were referencing uh, Timber. No. I thought she had like a wolf-esque name. I can't remember. But she's also kind of like Native American Thor in this. Yeah, this is... Uh, you're not missing much, Vince. Okay. Uh, I, uh... This could be good. This could... This... It's just not. There's a reality in which this is good? Yeah, I think so. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Speaking of not great, Wonder Woman number 46. Oh, my God. Written by James Robinson, illustrated by Steven Segovia. Can I can I tell you a story about this? Sure. I wish you would. So I, I've started reading this. I didn't check to see who was writing it. I mean, I thought it was Robinson, but I also knew that Orlando was coming on to do an issue at some point. And it's I was... 51, I believe. Right, you're right. It, it, it is. But I, I just started reading it, and I was going to see how far I got before I knew... That it was Robinson, and it took until Cheetah broke out and started talking, and then I knew. <laughs> Is there anything more annoying than the double R? I mean, there's that, but there was the moment I can tell you exactly when I knew. It's the it's on <laughs> page nine of our PDF, <laughs> second panel. Okay. That I will face these next gods divested of past hatreds from the old. <laughs> divested. <laughs> she does say divested twice. Yep. Oh my god. <sighs> and for me to face my future expunged. Not just divested, but expunged. Yes. Divested and expunged. I'm not expunged worthy, so I shan't be reading this comic anymore. <laughs> shan't we? Um, shan't, we shan't be telling Mother about yeah. this, shan't we? Yep, there's another one. There um, it is. No, you know, I, I want to like James Robinson comics. It's in my DNA. I kind of dug. Some That's the broken. worst verse of that uh, Kendrick Lamar <laughs> song. I got, I got <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to like the Supergirl thing at the end. It's just, uh... yeah. There's no, I, I, there. For me, there's no tether here. You know, like, like. Supergirl showing up in another book and being like threatening 
is a twist ending in another book that maybe would land with a little bit of punch. It's that classic super dickery last page. We're going to lie to you type thing. Yeah. But I, I feel no connection to this comic and I haven't since, well, I guess since Rucka, cause I thought the Shea Fontana arc was fine, but it was a little, it was light. It was light. Yeah. Yeah. It was fine. But th- this has just lost its. It's lost me because I don't care about Jason. Uh, fucking I forgot about his dad guy. Yeah, I, I thought he yeah, was dead. I, or I didn't something. even know what that was. I. Yeah, that was like the fisherman who the the somehow like he was like an argonaut and he's right. eternal and he's his dad but not really. He's just his fake dad to right. use a Red Snippy reference. Well, don't use that reference anymore. Oh, yeah. oh I forgot. Yeah, we can't, we <laughs> yeah. can't reference this anymore because it's problematic. No, yeah, we can't talk about the jolly candy-like button. We can't talk about vitamin F. Can't talk about log. Yeah. No, we can't We can't even say, no, sir, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> no, we can't. We have to like everything now. We have to. Unless we become too much like Mr. Horse. Yep. I think the last time we saw this dad, didn't he look exactly like um, Sam Elliott? Is that why Maybe? I'm? Because no, I did. Oh, I thought that was no, a different character. That was some other guy. Okay, yeah. never mind. Um, I you think, might be right. I don't know. I think Steve Trevor is a dick in this comic, under Robinson, and I can't shake like, I can't shake that I don't care about him at all either. Uh, like Wonder Woman, I don't think he does too bad with, but she just she feels like a secondary character in her own book. I think. Two boring, superfluous characters like Jason. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole thing is lost on me. And and nothing about... So this the title of this arc is called The Dark Gods. But nothing about this grabs you with that. You know? <laughs> Am I wrong? There's no... There's... The Dark Gods, is they, they don't grip you with that right away. No, they, they introduce the concept through a through an admittedly crazy character in Cheetah, who's like you know has who has legitimate issues of like misunderstanding reality, and then uh, their explanation for why other people might. Robinson says like, yeah, people keep talking about these 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 dark gods, but it's only people. He says something like, I have to get the words right because it's 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 the laziest way to say this. It's basically like people who already believe in a god. Yeah, here it says, From the data coming into Argus, this insanity about next gods is affecting people on shaky terms with whatever gods they already have. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. God's plan. Yeah. It's a god dream. <laughs> this is everything. <laughs> Ooh, I'm trying to keep my faith, but I don't want to read more of of this comic. Is where I'm going with that. I will say this is the first issue that touches on anything Rucka did. Yeah, that, that's yeah, not a compliment. Guess, that's yeah. just a statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, <laughs> that does it for this installment of the DC3Cast. We, uh, we thank you for listening. 
What was that, Zach? I was going to see what we had for next week, if there's anything yeah. good. I appreciate this new segment we did at the end of each episode. Uh, we have we have No Justice number two. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Batman 47. Get excited. <laughs> Part three of Booster Gold. I'm excited that that shit is coming to an end. Yeah. Is I'll next week that. the Superman special? You're... No. It is not. Hold on. Here we go. Aquaman, Batman, Batwoman, Batman, Sins of the Father. We don't read that. Um, Gave Carson, Damage, everybody's favorite Damage. Yep. Uh, Green Lanterns, uh, Harley Loves Joker, number two already, I guess. Um, No Justice Mm -hmm. 2. New Mm. Challengers 1, is that true? Whoa. Oh, that's a thing that I'm going to end up disliking. (laughs) (laughs) Superman special is next week. Is it? I didn't see it. Okay. Okay. And Wildstorm 13. Unless comiclist.com is outdated. Oh, no, you're right. Okay, I just overlooked it. Yeah. Oh, baby, new Challengers. I'm I'm actually... I like Challengers of the Unknown. I like Scott Snyder. I don't like the New Age of Heroes, but... I'm, Andy I'm, Kubert is in the top three Kuberts. Yeah, he is. Yep. <laughs> I'm, keeping, I'm keeping the faith. Um... I like how the man who mere 10 minutes ago said the New Age of Heroes is dead is now saying that he's looking forward to a New Age of Heroes joint this week. I forgot about New Challengers. And there's yeah. that Steve Orlando book that looks pretty good. Yeah, that, that that does look good. I'm going to I'm going to hope that that is like least tied to the New Age of Heroes. I feel hey. like that book sounds like it could have some greater effect on things i don't know i'm p- talking on my ass let's just end this goddamn show how about well, that I, I just want to ask you guys a new age of heroes question okay so um I, I believe that the joke we made many moons ago was how this was gonna be the new bloodlines like the 90s event bloodlines you know mm-hmm. which was supposed to launch all these new characters and then almost nothing from it continued on um obviously the characters from the terrifics are going to continue because they're not, you know, New Age of Heroes specific. Five years down the road, will any of these characters, aside from the Terrifics, be anything? Will even one of them survive? Will even one of them survive? I, I, oh, I could see Sideways being a thing. I think Sideways has the best chance. I don't think Brimstone will. I don't think Damage will. Silencer, I could see Silencer sticking around and showing up every once in a while. I could see Silencer joining the Suicide Squad. 1,000%. Joining the Suicide Squad. We said this yeah. last time. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm what this say, is. This is fodder for Suicide Squad too, you know? Yeah. Maybe perhaps a, su- a Task Force 12. Tax, I, just, tax, I know I just blew your mind. Task Force XXL. Ooh. Task Force Super Size Me. Task Force XXX. Well, that's the... You gotta have a... Porn parody. The, the threequel. Yeah. <laughs> Wake me up when it's uh, Task Force 69. <laughs> nice. <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, sports 420. Smoke if you got them. <laughs> yeah, you're going to break Hey, me. El Diablo, get over here. Yeah. Hot, we're going to hot box it. That's, imagine if Kevin Smith wrote the Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this part, Batman pees, and then they light up a doobie. Uh, suicide Boochies. <laughs> All right. That's All cool. right. Let's call go to, it. Go to multiversitycomics.com. Check out all sorts of fun stuff. Follow us on Twitter. I am at Brian and Zanap. I'm at LCD underscore lounge system. Can you that's... please stop changing your fucking Twitter no, handle? No, 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 no. I have to. I had to do it. Why, Why did you have to do it? Did you have too many angry football people on your case? I got to go deep cover for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll talk off mic about that. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Oh, I'm at SirFox89 still, and for now. <laughs> yeah, I'll be at Brighton's nap until, uh, I don't know, until I somehow stop being tired. Yeah. If I, if, if I ever can get a control of my sleep schedule, I will change my Twitter username. Fair enough. No, I won't. Ride or die. Brighton is a nap. All right, folks, we'll be back next week with uh, No Justice 2 and all the other stuff we just talked about. So, good night. Thanks for listening. Bye. Say there, what name is really going to be a hit with the kids these days? Eben. I love it. <laughs> Eben Kent? Even. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs>